안녕하세요, 여러분. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Motivate Korean podcast. My name is Ian, and I'm here today with Jeremy and Kevin, whom you may know from videos on the Motivate Korean YouTube channel, from the Motivate Korean Sathadibang on Facebook, or the blog over at motivatekorean.com. In this episode, we're going to have a discussion about two different things. They're not necessarily mutually inclusive knowledge and skill. We're going to talk about balancing these and how working on them at the same time can boost your capacity for both. We want to say thank you to this episode's sponsor, NordVPN, for helping us put this together. And uh, we want to let you know a great coupon code later on in the episode. So stay tuned for that. All right, let's get started. So today's topic is going to be a comparison of knowledge and skill. So I think these are two pretty different things. Would you guys agree with that? Definitely. I want to hear what Kevin has to say, though. So, Kevin, how would you define knowledge, like in, with regards to language? Knowledge would be uh, factual information. Like, you know, the translation of specific words? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Um, you know how to translate specific words off the cuff? You know how to um, explain specific grammar forms? Hmm. Uh, and also, you know, things like conjugations or, or like how to explain how a, a certain particle works. Those are all, uh, that's all, that's all knowledge. Those are all declarative facts, things that you can learn from a book. Uh, skill, on the other hand, is stuff that you know how to do. It's not necessarily something that you can explain. It can be, but that's often when skill and knowledge um, overlap, mm. oh, but nice. sk- skill in general, you don't, um, you don't need to have any knowledge. Uh, I'm sorry. You don't need to have any uh, ability to explain what you're doing. It's your, your ability to, um, you know, accomplish a specific goal in this case, you know, speaking Korean. I like that. And so well put. Yeah, totally. So I think I, it, it sounds to me like someone like a linguist, for example, could have a lot of knowledge about Korean. But absolutely no skill. Oh, absolutely. So it's possible to like know a lot about the language and how it works and explain it without actually being able to use it at all. Yeah, I know. um, I remember from when I was in school, I didn't study linguistics in school, but being a language major, um, I took linguistics classes and I knew linguistics students. At the time, I I don't think and it still might not be that um, particularly rare. It's not rare for linguistics students to know a lot about how language works, but not technically be very proficient at a foreign language. You yeah. know, you don't have to have any foreign language experience or knowledge whatsoever to be, to, you know, to graduate with a degree in linguistics. Certain programs will require it because obviously the two things do go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you do gain one, an understanding of one field by, by developing an understanding of, of another, but you don't necessarily have to have that. It's not required. So, hmm. um, so, I mean, the so, word yeah. linguist, as far as I know, because I, I remember looking it up, I was confused. It can mean someone who studied linguistics in school or someone who's a language enthusiast. It can. So both of those people fall under the, the title, I guess. It, you, you hear them, yeah, you hear them in different situations. Like if you were uh, someone who's studied multiple languages, uh, you know, your friends who don't necessarily know much about languages might say, oh, you're, you're a linguist. Um, you don't... Within the language learning community, you don't see that too much. Um, most people use linguists to refer to the academically trained 
uh, people, the people that know about how the science of language works, but there are uh, there are people that know, like um, Steve Kaufman, the guy who runs uh, the, mm-hmm. the the uh, um, the company or the application Link. Um, Link, he, yeah, yeah. yeah, he has a, a blog where he refers to himself as the linguist. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, Kevin, in your in your teaching experience and your learning experience as well, because you've been learning alongside other people and teaching students languages and things like that, do you have any? Do you have any cases uh, or any memories of anybody that you've seen that has been completely ba- like imbalanced with regards to knowledge and skill? Like someone who's completely leaning in the skill direction and not the knowledge direction or completely leaning in the knowledge direction, you know, the opposite. Do you have any any stories of anybody like that that you've experienced? Um, maybe not any uh, particular stories, but I, I think we all are familiar with those people that just kind of they they're very like street smart in the language like they can i'm sure you guys have actually uh, encountered this more than i have yeah i mean i could say like my wife is kind of an example and most native speakers i think as well yeah um oh yeah yeah native speakers are a perfect example obviously because you don't need to have that declarative knowledge i mean there is most most like uh, developed countries and um have in the education system you're required to learn about your language but Technically, you don't need to have any, you don't need to know any facts about your language to be able to speak it well. And so, yeah, yeah, native, native speakers are a great example. I, I was more hitting towards the, the people that I'm sure, you know, Jeremy and Ian, the people that you guys have encountered probably by the dozen where, um, you know, they've been in Korea and they've just, they pick up certain things. I'm, obviously, certain foreigners, they, they stay expats and they don't learn much of the language, but I'm sure you know someone that just knows how to get by but can't explain much like he couldn't he couldn't teach the language to you but he he can go and do he or she could go and do whatever they they need to do on a day-to-day basis i can imagine people like that but i think the the most strong example that comes to mind is korean people like all of my students that i've had over the years korean people learning english from me they all have a great knowledge of the language in fact they've taught me a lot of the grammar uh, words at least and expressions, uh, ways of cr- uh, communicating certain grammar topics. They explain it to me the way they understand, and then I use their explanation and teach my, you know, to teach my other students. Mm-hmm. So they have a high knowledge of English, but their issue and the reason they're working with me is because they can't do it. They know mm-hmm. too much, so they're trying to ask for help from you know the guy behind the counter. But they're thinking about verbs and prepositions and you know articles while yeah. they're trying to ask for help. And that's it's become too. That's mechanical. the imbalance that we're kind of talking about here, right, Ian? That's that's yeah. That's been my experience in Korea as well, and I think that's uh, one of the main reasons I I feel that this is a really uh, a topic really well suited to what we're doing with learning Korean and and going on this journey, because um, I think that Korean, Korean people, or at least native speakers of the Korean language that are learning English here in Korea um, are the perfect example of a a big imbalance of skill and knowledge where they know a lot of English words, random English words and vocabulary, um, but they don't really know how to use any of it. They know that this word is used in this way or it's it's been like it, it means this in Korean, but they don't know what it means in English. Or a lot and of times they don't so know you, what it sounds like. They only know what, when they see it. 
They know mm-hmm. what it's spelled. I had a student like that. I would say lots of words. She didn't know it. I'd write it down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. So she couldn't hear it. Jeremy, you've also worked in, the, in a Korean school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work in private education in Korea. But I've been around a lot of students who are going through the public school process. And I think that's kind of a cornerstone of, of Korean education is because they're so singularly focused on the sunung, which is the test that they'll take at the end of high school. Uh, that measures their aptitude and and ranks them for getting into universities in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so focused on acquiring lots of knowledge that they can call upon during that test um, that English gets grouped in this this living breathing mm-hmm. subject that's not really something you can memorize gets grouped in with all these you know with math and things that just need to be learned by brute force and just memorized mm-hmm. and repeated mm-hmm. and whereas with English something that requires you know critical thought and and those kinds of things there there tends to be this one size fits all approach to learning that as well which i think leads a lot of korean people with a genuine interest in english to being really frustrated with the language and never really getting past a beginner level and i think that carries over into a lot of the korean learning that foreign people so non-koreans people are learning the korean language do because these good point these people have learned this way they think that that we need to teach this way. And so a lot of foreign people uh, from Western countries or really just not from Korea have never had an educational experience similar to what a Korean person goes through in, in public school here. And so people get stuck and lose their interest in the language or just see this mountain of content that they need to memorize um, mm. in front of them. And they never really develop any skills using anything because the the barrier to entry looks so huge of all this stuff that you need to memorize and and all this stuff to to become fluent all these words and grammar points and honorific structures and cultural things and all that 지금 생각나는 건 너무 맛없게 해주는 거야 너무 맛없게 가르치는 거야 맛없게 like no taste too like right. It's not tasty. I think they use that kind of uh, expression. I've used it a lot in Korean and they they get it. One thing I'll say, uh, it might seem like a slight contradiction of what Ian said, but the... um... I don't, you know, I don't know the firsthand Korean education experience. I hear that it's obviously, you know, it's very rigid and very, you know, textbook study intense, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think language education in the world at large is like that, if not to the same extent. True, mm, true. Um, I mean, you know. It's just that they're uh, all doing it. Yeah. It says that the whole country there is doing it with one language, whereas we mm-hmm. choose between French and Spanish and Italian and Chinese yeah. or whatever we have at school. And so it's spread out enough that everyone isn't like, hey, yeah, w- this doesn't work. Let's fix this. Oh, certainly. And, but I think the, you know, um, I would say almost any Westerner, Westerner person living, uh, listening to this, but also Americans in particular, everybody knows somebody that took. Spanish for mm. six years through through middle school and high school probably, and you know they graduate and talk to them now. They could they could have graduated you know ten days ago. They could have graduated ten years ago, and they can't speak Spanish. So it's the same problem, just not as intense. So for people who are traveling to and from Korea or really anywhere in the world, keeping your personal and financial information safe is extremely important. 
We all know that. Here in Korea, there's an expectation of free Wi-Fi just about everywhere. And scammers can prey on that expectation pretty easily. That is why we use NordVPN wherever we are. It protects you, your personal and your financial information, as well as your internet devices, like I said, no matter where you are. Uh, VPNs are pretty much a basic necessity for expats living in Korea. They're the only way you can access certain banking and government services back home while you're in Korea. So, um, if you use our coupon code, MOKO, M-O-K-O, at nordvpn.com slash MOKO, you can get 70% off a three-year plan, plus an extra month free. So that brings the price down to like $3.49 a month. Part of that will also go towards helping us expand this channel and provide you with more content just like this. Thanks again to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of the Motivate Korean Podcast. So how do we balance skill and knowledge? Because it's really easy to fall into the just knowledge gathering loop. How do you do it? You've learned really fast. You, I think, have gotten to a, a, be a better level of Korean than I did in... How long have you been learning now, Ian? Uh, about two and a half years. Okay. So two and a half years, you've gotten to a point where you can pretty much communicate most of what you want to say. And I think at two years for me, I was maybe a lot more frustrated. So I don't think I learned as efficiently as you did. But you also had language learning experience before that. You spoke French to a high level before that. Whereas Korean was my very first language going hard. And I obviously hit a lot of the the obstacles that you you probably skipped by because you have you had experienced them. But you want to comment on that? Sure. So uh, the way that I liked to think about fluency was something that I could do from day one of language learning. So when it came to like, it, like fluency uh, as opposed to... Uh, like a destination you can reach, it's kind of a, a mindset that you can have. So what I mean mm. by that is I learned not necessarily um, how to conjugate present tense verbs and make you know interrogative sentences using question words and proper honorifics. What I learned was how to order a, a coffee. And so mm. I would learn how to order a coffee and then I would go and order the coffee and I would practice asking things that I didn't need to know. For example, like, uh, is this sweet or is this how much, how expensive is this? What's the cost? How, you know, saying, even though it's written right on there with a tag and you know it, you just would kind <laughs> of do it to say it. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I, I've realized is like, how many times have I asked where the bathroom is in English? A, a billion, a yeah. quadrillion, a billion times. You know, you I, gotta stop. You gotta stop <laughs> drinking so much water, dude. You're gonna, you're gonna get that checked out. <laughs> but what I mean, what I mean to say is, like, you can know how to do the perfect push-up, but mm. like, you need to t to do push-ups sometimes to to mm. make that knowledge like applied knowledge. So I would ask people where the bathroom is when I knew where the bathroom was. I would ask how yeah. much things are because I wanted to practice comfortably getting the right intonation and pronunciation and making those words something that just comes out of my mouth as naturally as English. So with when you use the analogy of push-ups, it makes me think then that that skill is like how you're 
your muscles look when you're at rest, right? right? Like you do reps to yeah. to cure your muscles, right? To cure your mom chip. <laughs> mom chip is develop, like your, your, your mom chip. Yeah. Uh, to develop well, your muscles. But the final result, what you see, the muscular the ability, the final result is the skill. But I mean, to me, what what Ian just said, that that sounds like the definition of, uh, let's say, knowledge-based learning or fact-based learning versus skill-based learning. You, you, you learned with the goal of, I want to know how to do X. And so you did that. And so essentially... Um, if you extrapolate that out to the whole two years of learning, you've just stacked, um, you know, micro situations of Korean competency up one on top of the other um, until you've now the, everything's kind of now blended together. And you have this you, you have this whole set of skills, things that you can do in Korean. Mm. And um, and that is often not well. It's not how any of us probably remember being taught languages in school. I can tell you, um, language teaching nowadays, there is an emphasis on trying to do that. Teachers are taught to um, develop lessons with um, to, and answer the question of what will students be able to do by the end of this lesson. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I can say that's not how any of us remember that going. No, I don't. Right. And this is especially difficult because we're adults and we're expected to function in society. And we're expected to be able to, to communicate these things just at, at visually because we're not children, right? So like, like this skill-based stuff can be irritating because like you don't want to have to practice these basic things, right? Mm -hmm. So like with this, like students will be able to do this by the end of class or I'll be able to do this by the end of the day or whatever. With that mindset, uh, without that mindset, I mean, like you're going to be like, okay, I know how to, I know how to ask where the bathroom is. What's the next thing? Instead of saying, okay, I've learned how to ask where the bathroom is. Now I need to go ask a bunch of people where the bathroom is. Cause just knowing, just having that book in your like library doesn't mean you, you're going to be able to find it when the time comes. Mm -hmm. If you've developed this big bookshelf of stuff, you know, if the books aren't organized, if you never pulled the book off the shelf, you're not going to know where it is when the time comes to like have to do it. That happens a lot. It, it happens a lot until you've pulled the books off the shelf a bunch of times. You just know you know it, but you don't know what it is. Oh, I know, I know that word, but wait, what is it again? What you're touching upon um, is not necessarily knowledge versus skill, but now we're touching upon practice. Um, you know, to develop mm -hmm. a skill, you also have to practice the skill. You can't just learn it once and do it once and you're good. You have to practice it and you have to practice it in a way that gets you out of your comfort zone and expands over time, your capabilities, like you just said, in you know, you you learn how to ask for coffee. Okay, that's not a very difficult skill. You know, you could you could technically teach someone the the, the few phrases you need to do know how to do that very quickly. But then you added to it. You you made the the situation your 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 skill knowledge of that of that situation more robust by asking associated things like, "Is this sweet? How much is this?" you know, um, what sizes do you have? I don't know what else you might, might've asked, but, um, you, you used practice. Where's the bathroom? What, what color is your hair? <laughs> so these, these two things, knowledge and skill are pretty synergetic. I think there's a, there's a, there's like a symbiotic relationship between them because the more that this higher your skill level, the easier you will retain new knowledge. 
the 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 more the, the better you'll True. be able to gather new information about the language in mm-hmm. the language because mm-hmm. you know what's going on and you're in the moment and the more you know the more the more it's like the scent of a flower in a way as if there's the as the the flower sort of like blossoms the scent is kind of the unseen it's a result. Everyone likes that. That's why people like stop and smell the roses, right? Stop and smell the flower. The smell is what we go for, but you don't see it. It just kind of oozes out of the flower. And when you get close to it, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Because, you know, it, what I realized too is like, you know, like you're saying, you get uh, fluent in certain situations. And I'd be fluent in, certain, in enough situations where I felt like if someone only saw me then, they'd be like, wow, he's really good. But then when I get over into this other situation and I'm trying to explain, you know, whatever, I just am back to being like a beginner, it feels like. Um, One thing that I think needs to be said is this happens to all of us in our native languages as well. True, true, true. We exist and speak our languages every day in a very um, narrow set of circumstances. You know, we speak, speak it at work, we speak it at home. Um, you know, Jeremy speaks at the, at the yoga studio, mm-hmm. but if you took any of us and put us in a situation where we've, we've just never been in before mm-hmm. or, or that, that just feels very uncomfortable for us, all of a sudden we're going to be missing things like the vocabulary. Um, I mean, wh- the, the example that most um, I've seen a lot of language learners give is that like, you know, if, if you took all of us and then asked us to participate in a detailed discussion on, on, on like, Kantian philosophy, like, mm-hmm. like you know, assuming none of us has ever studied that, we're, we're all of a sudden going to be missing a lot of words, and other people are going to be talking and be like, "What? What's that?" And yet we're perfectly native English speakers, so it's not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything to do with our English skill. We're competent at where we need to be competent, but the thing is, there are always domains that we just can't function in. So I've heard, I've heard it said. We've all heard it said that that luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Hmm. I would like to posit to you guys that fluency is where knowledge meets skill. Bam. Drop the mic. You guys think that? (laughs) Agreed. So what I would like to put out to all of our lovely listeners and uh, to anyone who's interested in or is in the process of learning a language or thinking about starting the process of learning a language or really learning anything at all, um, Mm. that fluency is something that you're constantly developing and maintaining. Mm -hmm. It's not a place where you can arrive. It's not a check you can check off a list. It's Mm. something you can frankly do from day one with the knowledge that you have. I mean, even if we look at the root word, the root in there, there's like fluid, right? As in like liquid like, and a river will dry up if there's no snow on the top of the mountain. So you have to keep the flow going. The The whole ecosystem has to be in perfect balance. If some major thing happens to an ecosystem, the, there's a stops, there's just no more rainfall in the general area. Then the mountain there starts to dry up. There's no more snow on the mountain, which so it doesn't melt. So it doesn't flow down the mountain. And then the river dries up. And then, the, you know what I mean? There's this huge chain reaction that goes through to keep the flow going you also got to have snow on that mountain way off in the distance and that's the thing that you don't see the tip of the iceberg we say is kind of only what you see in the moment when someone's talking so it would be very easy for kevin who at the moment is is at a lower level than uh, among the three of us Mm -hmm. it would be very easy for him to say fool his friends 
into thinking that he's very fluent in Korean if he's in a situation where he's, you know, where he's uh, mm-hmm. he's very feels Com- very capable, Com- right? And he's yeah. practiced that situation a lot. So from the outside, it's just the you only see that tip of the iceberg. But you you have to kind of keep the whole ecosystem going. You have to keep your listening going, your input, your output, your practice, your study, and. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I've hit a point now where I don't study anymore, but I'm teaching English all day, almost every day. Not all day. I don't actually do it all day, but I have at least one class every day. So I'm talking to a Korean person in Korean about complex linguistic topics every day almost, including my father-in-law who's very interested in this stuff and we love chatting about it over dinner. So I'm still learning, but my learning and my, my practice my study and my practice have merged into life. So life has become my study and I chose a job that allowed me to continue speaking Korean too. If I worked at a right. you know a restaurant or something, I had to speak English all day, my Korean would be, you know, not as good. In fact, I went to on a trip with my parents this this summer. We were with them for a week. I spoke very little Korean. The day I came back, I was in the car talking to my in-laws. They picked us up from the airport. I was like like the Korean did not come out smooth. But right now, it's it's on. It's on high because I'm I'm doing it every day now. So even at a high level of fluency, at a high level, I still have to maintain both. So Got to keep that that snow on the mountain is kind of what I'm saying. So whether you're just getting started or you're digging through lists of vocabulary like different hanta and hantao that you're trying to become familiar with or you're practicing asking where the bathroom is or you're talking about theoretical physics with people, you can be fluent at what you know before you learn any more. You can be fluent right now. That's on you to get comfortable calling on that knowledge and using that knowledge in real in in real situations. Yeah, and if you if you're at kind of a, a speaking level right now where you're doing some speaking, but you feel a big lack in vocabulary, we have a course on our website that's available now, Hanta All Course. So you can go to if you if you'd like to check it out. It's not just keep in mind it's not for total beginners. So you have to kind of be at a point where you you are speaking but struggling a lot. And uh, you can check out the course, motivatekorean.com slash Korean courses. So whether you're uh, practicing asking where the bathroom is or uh, talking about theoretical physics at your university course or just trying to, you know, acquire some more knowledge in, in the uh, realm of hantao, which is where most of your vocabulary is going to come from uh, at the intermediate and advanced level of Korean, uh, your fluency is in your hands and it's something that you can take control of uh, from the moment you get in touch with new knowledge. I like that. All you gotta do is get your hands. Get your hands dirty, everyone. There you go. So go out and uh, work on your fluency. Ask where the bathroom is. Ask questions you don't need to. Use words you wanna wanna practice. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Catch you next time. Bye.